This is a tape recording made in the chapter of the open book and is the last of this present series under the title The Form of Sound Words. Uh, that doesn't mean to say that we're going to give up the form of sound words and carry on just as we like afterwards because the whole testimony of this witness is that the Apostle Paul has given us a pattern and a form of sound words and we must see to it that our witness aligns with it. Uh, but um, we are hoping to take an entirely different line of teaching on the subsequent Sunday afternoons so that there will be uh, a, a distribution, as it were, of the teaching of Scripture and we get other phases and aspects before us. Now, first of all, with regard to the word witness, it is translated in the book of the Revelation, uh, chapter 1, concerning Christ, my faithful witness. But in the same book of the Revelation, it speaks about my faithful martyr. In the next chapter or chapter but one, same words exactly. So that the first thing we have to remember is, with regard to the word witness, is not the depraved or lowered meaning of somebody sitting on a bench watching a football match and he's called a witness. Of course he may be suffering, I don't know. Uh, that's another question. But the point is, it's not you sit and look, but you stand and testify. Now the next thing is this. It doesn't mean to say that unless you are taken out and burned at the stake at Smithfield or are executed at the Tower of London, you haven't been a faithful witness. But it means to say that you hold the truth so dear that God who knows the hearts of all men, it said, you remember, in the passage we read, God who knows the hearts of all men, he knows whether you would stand for that truth even under the threat of death. So you see, witness and testimony is a sacred and solemn thing. Now we were looking just now, before the uh, opening of this uh, tape recording, at the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. So I'm going to give an opportunity to those of you who are listening to this at a distance to start our little study there again. In the first part, he said, you tarry at Jerusalem for your witnesses unto me. And then, you remember that Peter stood up in the midst and said, well, there's one of us gone. Judas has lost. He betrayed our Saviour. And he was very concerned that the number 12 should be made up. Because these 12 were representative of Israel, and we are told that the lot fell upon Matthias. There are some who have wondered, some have said actually, put it in the print, that they were too hasty, that the Apostle Paul was number 12, and so Matthias ought never to have been appointed. Well, you see, that's rather awkward for the spirit of truth, isn't it? To immediately baptise Matthias, who ought never to have been appointed, and give him exactly the same sign that he gave to all the others. There's not the slightest idea that when the Spirit of God fell upon the twelve on the day of Pentecost, that only eleven received the sign and poor old Matthias was left out, he was there. So I think we ought to think again. 
Then some have said there was evidently a bit of favouritism. They only put forward two. There were 120 of them up there. And they just put forward two. Well, that brings us to one of the essential features that constitute a witness. It is not essential in everything because it depends on what aspect your witness takes. But if you are going to bear witness concerning the personal resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, wouldn't you have to admit, well, I wasn't there. But I do gather from the scriptures that he was raised from the dead. But a person may say, well, you've got to prove the scriptures first of all, so your witness would be set aside. But supposing you could say, I was there. That witness would have to be heard in a court of law, whether they liked it or not. Now, you see this condition that comes in Acts 1, verse 21. Whereof, or wherefore of these men, these men, eloquent men, qualified to speak, or, no, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Matthias could even be grammatical in his speech. It doesn't mean to say that he was a clever man. In fact, the cleverer the witness, the worse he is sometimes. If, in some legal case, they can bring some poor person up who stutters and stammers and is frightened out of his life to stand there, and yet, on oath, he says, I was there and I saw this happen. That's far more than all the eloquence in the world. So they had two men only in the 120 people who had been with Christ from the beginning. We are told the names of the 12 apostles, but we're not told the names of the 70 who be also appointed with him from the beginning. But Matthias was evidently one of them. And the other one was Barsabas. Now, there may have been a possibility that they thought that Barsabas, whose surname was Justice, that he would have been... Oh, Joseph, he got... Oh, that's right. Joseph, called Barsabas, whose surname was Justice. They may have thought that he's the one going to get it. You know, a hyphenated name sometimes goes a long way, doesn't it? I mean, uh, Mr. Potter is something, but Mr. Brown hyphenated Potter, that's different. Well, anyhow... That was the thing. And if, as I've used this illustration before, but it's still true, if we were going to have a little committee in this chapel, and one of the conditions was that you must have been at the first meeting we held in connection with this witness, how many would be qualified? One. So whether you liked it or not, that's the end of it, isn't it? See, that one could say, and I was there. So you see, the first thing with regard to a witness is not that you know a lot, not that you're eloquent, not that you can teach, not that you can preach, but you can just testify. Well, that may be a word for you and for me. Supposing you said, you know, I couldn't stand up there for the life of me and do that, so you're not asked to. But what sort of life do you live? What sort of witness are you giving? How far do you testify that what you say you believe is a truth for you? How far do you hold it as a martyr? I don't mean to say you're necessarily got to suffer, but how far will you be willing to endure anything rather than give it up?
That constitutes witness in the New Testament sense. Well now we might notice some of the statements that are made elsewhere. Will you look back at John the first chapter? John the first chapter. It introduces Christ as the word and then it goes on to say in verse 6 there was a man sent from God. I just stop for a minute because we have people come and stand on our doorstep and they open their Bible and they tell us that the first verse of John's Gospel should read and the word was a God. In fact, one of them, the last time, had a Greek New Testament. But I think they were rather surprised to think that Mummy, who interviewed them, could read the first verse straight off to them. But you see, these folks, they've just got an idea, and they trot it out, and it sounds feasible. But if they're true when they say that the absence of the article, when it says, and God, and the word was a God, then it should read, there was a man sent from a God, whose name was John. Well, that isn't true, is it? And when it says the word was made flesh, they ought to translate it, and the word was made a flesh. And when it says later on, no man hath seen God at any time, they should say, no man hath seen a God at any time. Simply, the writer of this gospel in the next few verses knew what he was doing. If you have the in front of a word, followed by uh, uh, an absence of it, it means to say that that particular characteristic is not exclusively belonging to that person because the word being the God would exclude the Father and the Spirit and Jehovah and God Almighty and all the lot, you see. So it's all right. But we're looking at the witness now. Verse 7. The same came for a witness. That was his supreme work, a forerunner, bearing a witness that the fullness of time had come and that this promised Saviour had been born and was now ready to bear a witness to that fact. The same came for a witness, to be a witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Do notice this, he was not that light. John the Baptist was not that light. He never saved anybody. He never died for the sinner. His witness was to lift his finger and say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now if you turn to John 5, you get another aspect. John 5. Verse 31. A rather strange statement occurs here. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. That's Christ speaking. Well, what does that mean? Would you look at another passage similar to that in chapter 8, verse 14. Same gospel, same writer, same subject. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record, that's the same word as witness, of myself, yet my record is true. So you see, what it means is this. 
It doesn't mean to say that we've got to doubt the witness of Christ. But he said, I know, according to the law of God, that if anyone's going to have a witness, it should be confirmed by more than one speaker. In the mouth of two or three witnesses should every word be attested. Now you see how wonderful it was. Our Saviour was willing to stoop and say, don't take my word for it only. There's another one who bears witness of me. Although he said later, even if I do bear witness of myself, my witness is true. So we're back again in chapter 5. Verse 32. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye send unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man that these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light. Now in the first chapter, it says he was not that light, but he came to bear witness of that light. And if you're not careful, you'll think, oh, well, it says one thing in chapter 1 and it contradicts it. But if you look at the original, you see in the first chapter, Christ is light. And you find in the fifth chapter, John the Baptist was a lamp. You see? John the Baptist wasn't the light of the world. But he was a lamp. Now, in the first chapter, it says that our Saviour was the Word. And you know what John the Baptist said he was in the first chapter? I'm a voice. Have you got it? What witness is? You are not the word of God, friends. But you could be a voice to make it heard, can't you? You are not the light of the world. But you could be a lamp. Oh, that's witness. Of course, if you put yourself up as a light, you'll blot out the light of Christ and that won't be witness at all. That'll be usurpation. So, John the Baptist is a rare witness, isn't he? And then do you notice, the word witness, I said just now earlier, was the word martyr, and John the Baptist died as a result of his witness. It wasn't to be a casual thing. He went right through and lost his head, in that sense. So there we have John the Baptist's witness. But then our Saviour continues in John 5, verse 36, I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. So it says, that if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by those that heard it, signs, wonders, and diverse miracles. So he said, if you don't believe me, believe me for the very... You know how once they questioned, and they said, oh, this is blasphemy, this is blasphemy. He, he said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. None but God can forgive sin. So he said to them, look, if I've committed blasphemy, and I say to that man sick of the palsy, rise, take up your bed and walk, and the Father in heaven permits it, 
He's endorsing what I said, hasn't he? Put me to the test. You say, I haven't got the power to forgive sins. Sick of the palsy, rise, take up your bed and walk, and he did. So the works bore witness. They were a testimony. And then it says further down, verse 37, And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. When did the Father bear witness of him? He stood in the river Jordan, and the heaven opened above his head, and a voice was heard saying, This is my beloved son. John the Baptist was there. So he goes on to say, Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And if you're not careful, you'll lift that verse out just as a proof that God is invisible. But if you'll think about John the Baptist for a moment, John the Baptist said, When I bore testimony to this Christ, I saw the heavens opened and the Spirit descending in the shape, got the word? Shaped like a dove? And I heard the voice. So here he says, You didn't hear the voice, I did. You didn't see that shape, I did. And then some others say, Oh, well, I wish I lived in the days of John the Baptist. But we've got a witness still. So he says down here, Verse 37, our version says, search the scriptures, which is a very good command. But the same word can be a question, and is so translated in some passages. He says, look, you, you search the scriptures. It may uh, just sort of stating to them what he thinks they do. You search the scriptures. That's right, isn't it? I'm not telling you to, I'm telling you what you do. You know them. You can quote them. Yes. So when Herod was worried about the birth of the king of the Jews, you sent, he sent, to some of you people and said, where should he be born that he's king of the Jews? Said, I might go and worship him. You know what he was going to do if he did get to know. Oh, they said, he'd be born in Bethlehem for what is written. But not one of them went to see, friends. Not one of those who quoted that scripture so glibly ever went to see. Poor old shepherds who wouldn't know perhaps where to find the book. When it spoke about Bethlehem, they went. The wise men who came to the east, who were not the people of Israel at all, they went. But don't you see the tragedy of knowing the word of God in letter and leaving him, the living word, outside. So it says, you search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify. Here's the word witness again. You see, the word is record, testify, testimony, witness, variously translated. There's no reason why you should always keep to one particular word, so long as you know that in the original it's always this word built round the word martyr. Someone who bears a testimony even if it cost him his life. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. So the John the Baptist was a witness to Christ. The works he did were a witness. The Father's voice from heaven, the shape of the Spirit, the testimony, and the very scriptures. You look at the last verses of this chapter. 
the last two verses, for had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? So there's the testimony, there's the witness that is given by the book. Well then shall we come to another passage. Take for instance the way in which the Apostle has used the expression in Romans chapter 3. Of course the, the scriptures themselves are witnesses. They bear a testimony. The ones who wrote these scriptures were not there. They had gone. But the words that they wrote by inspiration of God abide. Chapter 3 of Romans. He says, verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them all under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now is a change. The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You may not have quite seen it in the Old Testament so clearly, until Christ came and fulfilled it, and then you began to realise that the law and the prophets had been speaking about this very thing, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all, and upon all them to believe, and so on. So we have the witness of the actual scriptures. And then I think it's good to have uh, a moment or two for another witness. <coughs> Will you turn to the Acts of the Apostles, 14th chapter. Now remember that the Apostle Paul was continually turning his listeners back <coughs> to what the scriptures said. And here in the 14th chapter, he and Barnabas, they have reached a place called, um, uh, where do we get the name? Uh, verse 6, they were at Lystra and Derby and the cities of Lycaonia and so on. And presently they came to um, this particular spot and because of what they had done, the people, verse 11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of Lycaonia, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, because he was a big built, I think, uh, rather fine sort of man. And Paul, Mercurius, he was not much to look at, as he said, because the Corinthians said his bodily presence was mean and his speech contemptible, but he was the chief speaker. And uh, the priest of Jupiter, where, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying, saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach that you should, uh, preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven 
and earth, and the sea, and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. You see? Even those who had no Bible had a witness. And the witness was that he did good, he gave rain from heaven, fruitful seasons. He was the God who created heaven and earth. And if you'll turn to the 17th chapter, you won't have ignorant people like these were, but you will have the philosophers at Athens. Those who were really clever people. Those who had went into the problem of the nature of existence and invented the syllogism, and I don't know what, with regard to wisdom. So what was the Apostle's attitude to them? He said to them, um, in this 17th chapter, verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I believe that in all things ye are too superstitious, which is not exactly what it means. He said, you're too religious. Has he telling them they're too religious? Well, you can be so religious that you leave God out of it, you see, or, or get a wrong kind of God. Religion may be a bondage instead of a freedom. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now, will you notice that he's speaking to the, these Athenians, and he never quotes scripture to them. Now, you may criticise it, but he's giving us a pattern. I've heard people in the open air, I've done it myself in the years that have gone by, quoting scripture after scripture. And if you look at the people who are listening, there's hardly any of them know what you're talking about. I mean, it says, By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. That's shouted at an open-air meeting. Somebody comes along and says, What's all this about? What new move is this? Well, they're going to squat down in the middle of Strafalgar Square, see? They're going to break all the law and go, see? No. The Bible is a family album. It belongs to you. And from that Bible, you can extract some features that will help you to bear your witness. And when the person exhibits interest and becomes an inquirer, then you can say to him, you look at that scripture. Find it for him. But not indiscriminate quotations that perhaps have no meaning and only puzzle them. So he said, you, I feel that you've got an altar to the unknown God. I think the Apostle Paul could have a little dig at people sometimes on the quiet very nicely. He says, you know, uh, your own writers say that it was easier to find a God than a man in the streets of Athens. They've got so many deities, so many gods, that there were more gods than people. And when Paul had arrived at Athens, they said he's the setter forth of strange gods for his preaching Jesus and Anastasia. That is to say, some god named Jesus and some goddess named Anastasia. Jesus and the resurrection. Oh, let's come and listen to him. This seed picker, this babbler, this sparrow, as the word means. So he says, you've got an unknown god. You're not going to take any chances. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, 
seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And so he goes on to give them their witness, what the scriptures, what the testimony is of their own prophets, uh, so, what do you call them, poets, and only at the very end does he bring it to bear when he says in verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given us assurance unto all men, given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. So his main witness was to point them back to the fact that God doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. He's standing under the shadow of a temple which is still looked upon as one of the wonders of the world, the Parthenon at Athens. But he says, God doesn't dwell in temples made by hand and is not worshipped by man's art. Art? Colossians, philosophy? He says, oh, no, no. It's the, the very witness. Now, if you turn for the moment to Romans 1, you'll see that he makes it very clear that those who have no Bible are not left without witness. Romans, the first chapter. He says that um, in verse 20, the invisible things of him, that's God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now God is saying that, that those we call the heathen were not left without witness. He told them in Acts 14, God didn't leave himself without witness. He tells them in Acts 17, God had given all these things as a witness. He tells them here, that the invisible things of God, that which may be known of God, you can't know everything, but that which may be known of God can be gathered by the witness of creation around you. So that you see, witness is a really a wide thing. Well now I think we ought to look at, um, say, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because you will see that this central feature of the Apostles' teaching the resurrection is safeguarded not merely by the fact that he the apostle said so we might have said well that was enough oh no he said 1 Corinthians 15 moreover brethren I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now, you see, that ought to have been enough. But then these Corinthians may have said, well, what about these Scriptures? We don't know much about them. You've brought them to us. We've only started to begin to read them. They were not like the people of Israel who had them in front of them and read every day and Sabbath day in the synagogue. They said, well, you say so, Paul, and you say it's according to the Scriptures, but like you speak to a man in the street out there, you say, well, it says in the book of Genesis. He says, who believes the book of Genesis? Well, what are you going to do then? You can't give him a lecture and take him around the British Museum and point out all the evidences of its truth. See? And he's right. 
if you've never studied the scriptures, if you've been brought up to believe there are a lot of fairy tales, you're not going to put your eternal salvation because somebody buttonholes you and says, oh, it's true. Oh, you say, you've got to prove it to me. So he says, according to the scriptures, verse 5, he was seen of Kephas. Well, who's Kephas? That's Peter. Did Peter stand for the truth even if it cost him his life? You know what the answer is, don't you? And he wrote his in the epistle. He said, I shall shortly be putting off this tent or tabernacle as the Lord has shown me. He didn't intimidate him. Peter once denied his Lord. So it showed you it wasn't merely bravado in his part. He denied his Lord once. But not now. He went to the death as the Lord had said he would for the faith he believed. Well, what about that? That's witness, isn't it? Or again, after that, he was seen of the twelve. The twelve. Paul, did you mean to say you believe that Matthias was rightly pointed? Well, he never heard a word about that. That's a modern idea. Oh yes, the twelve. They were there. He was seed of the twelve. The risen Christ. After that, he was seen. Notice how many times the word seen comes. These were eyewitnesses. They didn't merely hear somebody tell you something. You know how things can be told you and by the time they get round you don't know where you are with regard to what was said. But if you were there and you say, I was there. I saw him. I saw his hands. I saw his feet. I saw the marks of the nails. I saw his face. I knew him. He was seen. After that he was seen of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren. At once. Five hundred. But he said, oh, I'll agree with you. You can't call upon the whole five hundred because the greater part um, remained at present but some are fallen asleep. Well, that's natural. What's the greater part of 500? Well, suppose we say 300. You could bring 300 who would all be willing to stand and witness in this way that Christ who died was raised again. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me. Me. And Paul could say, and you've got to explain me. You know what sort of person I was? I lived a Pharisee. You know what I did? I brought men and women and hailed them before the council and put them in prison and some of them to death. They were suffered death because they believed this Christ. And now look at me. And did he suffer? He did. Under Nero. So you see, the word martyr was true of Peter and John and Paul. It was a real martyrdom as well as a testimony that the word means also. Well, did you notice if you go back again to the Acts of the Apostles, the way he uses the word in Acts 20, which is rather significant. In the 20th chapter of the Acts, he's saying that he's finishing one ministry. I haven't time to go into the whole thing, but you know it. But he says, verse 20, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. After this man had been in 
on shipboard and been in a ship uh, once or twice, he was one of that type of men who seized on words. This is one that he seized from board ship. And how I reefed up nothing, that's the word he got from the sailing on the ship, reefed up nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testify. Testify. He was not merely preaching or teaching. He was bearing a witness uh, to the Jews, to the Greeks, and so on. Now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth. The Holy Ghost was bearing a witness by different ways, telling him the change had come, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me, neither count on my life dear unto myself. That looks as though he sensed the idea that martyrdom meant what it did, witness. So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He didn't say to preach the gospel of the grace of God. He didn't say to teach the gospel of the grace of God. He said a word that included that and a lot more. To bear a testimony that this gospel is a gospel of salvation and commend it to men whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. All there's so many passages that we might turn to. If you like to look up you'll discover that practically every dispensational change in the New Testament is introduced by a witness. John the Baptist Acts 1, 1 Corinthians 15, and this reference in Acts 20, and then we get that passage which belongs to us. He says to Timothy, The things which thou hast heard of me, Timothy, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You see, the apostle didn't say, Timothy, you take it from me. He said, you take it from me, but be sure that it's what you've heard confirmed by many witnesses. How wonderfully true this word of God has been watched over. How faithful we should be. And the last word that I give you is in the uh, fact that the tabernacle with its furniture and all things pertaining to it is called the testimony. 